0: The opening of our parsha finds Hashem instructing Moshe to prepare Aaron and his children for the kahuna, for their service in the Mishkan. And at the outset of our parsha, we read, and this is of course where the parsha gets its name. We read the following opening of the sentence of the pasuk: "Tzav Zos Toras Ha'Olah." Moshe is told, "Command Aaron and his children regarding the Olah." Offering, And Rashi quotes on this Pasuk from the Medrash in the Torah, which notices that this is not your typical term that is used for a command or an instruction in the Torah. Usually we have more familiar terms of Amor or Daber, Amor al Emor Amor bnei Daber al Instead, here we have the word, the command Tzav. Rashi quotes from the Medrash that, in fact, the reason is that tzav is used when you have the following three conditions, ziruz, miyad, and ledoros. That is to say, it's something that needs to be communicated, that is, ziruz, it needs urging. Miyad, it has to be done promptly, immediately. Ledoros, it is referring to something that must be done for future generations as well. Rashi then quotes the continuation of the Medrash, in which the great sage Rabbi Shimon then says, "This is true when there is chisarod kiss, When we're describing a loss of money, the comment quoted by Rashi is quite intriguing, but still a little bit vague. In fact, the ambiguity, the vagueness of this medrash, leads to a among some of the other classical Afarshim, notably the Ramban and the Mizrahi. Ramban says that Rabbi Shimon is actually arguing." On the first opinion the Tanakama in the Medrash and is suggesting an alternative the first opinion says you only use the word Sav if whatever is coming after it, it fits all three requirements it is something that is urgent has to be done immediately and will serve for continuity for future generations and it came along and said no even if you're missing those but if it's something that has to do with the loss of money and that's enough of a reason to use the word Tzav. The Mizrahi, on the other hand, says, no. The Mishimon is going to add on to what the first opinion was. And that is to say, not only does it have to have the first three requirements of zeros, miyad, and lodoros, but it also has to have a loss of money. It also has to be kiss so That's one very interesting Machlokis. If we think about it, we can apply this to the context of our Parsha, where Moshe is preparing Aaron and his children to serve in the kahuna. And according to that first opinion, that is the Zero's Miyad and the Doros, we can really understand what's happening here very beautifully. Hashem is telling Moshe to prepare Aaron and emphasizing to Moshe not to hesitate, to realize the significance of this event for Aaron and the Jewish people, and the fact that this is going to be something that's not only temporary or just for the moment, but in fact, Aaron and his children will serve for the Mishkan and the base Migdosh and for all generations. However, it's not clear how Rabbi Shimon's opinion would relate to the story at hand. Whether Rabbi Shimon is arguing on the first opinion or adding to the first opinion, in what way is there a kiss? Is there a financial loss here? On the contrary, don't the Kohanim benefit and get all sorts of presents, mat they make money from their service in the base of Megdash. They get the gifts of being a Kohen, the privileges of being a Kohen. So the Ramban actually says, you're right, Eimechinami, opinion is not Shayach here at all. However, the Rambada then continues and says, well, maybe he is relevant and suggests that there's a loss when the Kohanim offer their own karbonos, because then they're offering, so to speak, from their own money. Obviously, they're not benefiting in that situation. Haskuni however, says it's not just the rare situation of offering their own karbon. Anytime the Kohanim offer karbon, the entire Carbon service, the avodas carbonos, the sacrificial service, requires the kohanim who are now being inaugurated to act with such great meticulous care, because if they mess up in any way at any point, then the carbon becomes disqualified, needs to be replaced, and it will cause financial harm unnecessarily to the owners. And therefore, that is the tzav and the zeros, because there's real potential of chisaron kiss. Another intriguing idea to consider. Is perhaps the chisaron kiss here from Rabbi Shimon's perspective is not for Aaron and his children but for Moshe. Until this time, Moshe had served as kind of the Cohen Gadol. Now Moshe is giving that up to his brother and Aaron's descendants for the rest of Jewish time, for Jewish history. So perhaps the illusion, perhaps one could argue, is for Moshe's loss. It's kiss for Moshe, a loss of position stature, that he is no longer the carbon, and perhaps Hashem is telling him, despite that fact, this is for the greater good, this is my will, and therefore, without any hesitation, with alacrity, with great urgency, with meticulousness, appoint and inaugurate and help Aaron begin his service. So we see here this seemingly innocent and easily overlooked word choice, Tzav, as opposed to Amor or Daber, leads a number of Mepharshim, Ramban, Mizrahi, Cheskuni, and others to try to understand why this word is used and how it relates to the situation at hand. This is a good example of how Mepharshim, especially the Rishonim, the classical mafarshim, took great care in reading every single pasuk and every single word, and noticed nuances and slight changes in the words that are used in the Torah, and they elucidate that, which gives and provides great insight into the Torah text. One of the carbonos that we learn about in this week's parsha is the carbon toda, and the carbon toda, which is brought when someone is offering thanksgiving to Hashem, has a very unique dimension to it. That is that the form of shlamin that it involves, in addition to the carbon that is brought from an animal, there is also an additional mincha that is brought, as the Torah tells us in Parag sukkim Sukim Yud through Yud Gimel, im alatoda yakrivanu the krivalzevachatha, what you bring along with the animal. Like so many other carbonos, you bring a mincha, which we know is traditionally referring to unleavened flour. flower, that is matzos, which is a term that is found in the Pasuk. However, very uncharacteristically, the Torah continues and in the next Pasuk tells us that the carbon also includes Alchalos carbono In addition to the matzah flour which we bring, which is very not surprising and very typical, the carbon toda is unique because in addition you also bring chametz. Fascinating, fascinating phenomenon. Why is it that of all the carbonos, carbon the toda also has chametz, and why is there the combination of matz and chametz, something which is typically so? contradictory one to the other, such an anathema to have them both in the same breath, let alone the same sentence in the same mitzvah. And yet this is exactly what the Torah is commanding us to do every time a person brings a carbon totah. So Rav Zevin, in his beautiful sefer, Latorah Ulamu explains as follows. We know that a carbon toda is brought after a person is saved from a very difficult situation, therefore the person is giving thanks to Hashem. There are four examples of people or categories of people who had to bring this carbon: A chola, a sick person who was healed from a deathly disease or sickness. yardi e Hayam, someone who travels the sea, which was certainly in the ancient world very, very dangerous, and therefore survives his journey. Cholchey Midbaros, someone who has a journey trip that goes over the desert, which of course was very dangerous to go through the desert. And finally, a chavosh she, Yatsabi Beisai someone who was in jail and got out free, we know, certainly probably to some extent now, but certainly in the ancient world, to be put in jail uh, certainly was incredibly, incredibly dangerous, and the person made it out with his life. So that was the fourth person, the first category of person, who has to bring the carbon tota of Thanksgiving. What we see from this fascinating din is that a person does not bring a carbon tota just after something good, stom happens to him. As a word, just because we have, have something good, lots of good things happen in our life. You got a new job, you win the lottery, uh, you know something like that, bring a karmatota. That's not the halacha, that's not the case. When do we bring a Tota Only if you have two components. First, there was a tsara, and then there was a Yeshua. You were in crisis, you had a situation that was difficult, and then you had a salvation. But not just because something good happened to you, but because there was both components. First, tsara crisis, then Yeshua, then the salvation which you are thankful for. We know, says Reb Zeveni points out, that there are many sources that indicate that chametz is considered the sign of sin of the Yetzirah, things which are not good, things which are anti-spiritual. Of course, matzah, on the other hand, is something that's simple, that is humble, represents a simplicity and a humility and a sincerity of faith. In essence, chametz is just adding hot air it's a lot of nothing. There isn't really anything there. It symbolizes arrogance. It symbolizes something negative. This is very traditional, very well known idea of the chametz representing arrogance, specifically in the Sahara, more generally. So says Rav Zevin. Therefore, he understands. We can explain the carbon tota in a very, very beautiful way. The idea that of all carbonot, the carbon tota contains chametz, is precisely because if a difficulty befell this person. He was in any one of the four categories where he had a great crisis, a tzara, that then led to the Yeshua. But if, you were, if a person was in a great crisis, if a person was faced with a mortal danger and then ultimately saved, you bring the karmantota from chametz because you're recognizing that it was chametz, the arrogance, the lada hot air, in essence the tzara, the sinful part of our life that brought about that negative thing we include chametz in the karmatota as an acknowledgement that the crisis from which we are saved and we are thankful for that salvation, it had to have been brought about by some, in some degree by our own shortcomings, and that is symbolized by the chametz. Then we, in addition to the chametz, which was the tsara, we then bring the matzah, which symbolizes the Yeshua, the fact that there was enough, evidently, and we're thankful for this, there was enough that we merited, and we deserved that Hashem actually thanked, uh, saved us and gave us a salvation from that crisis. So, just like every carbon t'oda requires both components, the Tzorah and Yeshua, the crisis and the salvation, the sin, so to speak, before the salvation, so to the carbon itself, alludes to that and acknowledges both facets of the journey that this person was on, having both Chametz and then Matzah. Rav Zevin adds a very beautiful. Uh, Additional and final point to this thought, and that is that today when we don't have the carbon, we know we say the berkasagomel. The person says the berkasagomel, and the bracha that one makes when saying berkasa gomel includes the following somewhat curious phrase: "Hagomel l'chayavim tovos." What does that mean? I thank Hashem for, you know, redeeming and rescuing somebody who was chayavim tovos. In what sense, chayvim tovos? What are we talking about? She so says that's exactly the point. We recognize that to some extent, we are chayiv. We are not fully justified. We are not fully deserving. And despite the fact that we are chayiv. Nevertheless, Hashem did tovos. Hashem did good things for us. So even in the nusach of the bracha, which I think to some extent is not so well understood even by people who have said this bracha, so if nothing else, this is worth considering. Just the nusach that we're saying, we should understand the words that we're saying. Hagomel, chayvim tovos. Somebody, who, Hashem, we thank you for acknowledging, for recognizing, and for saving ultimately someone who was chayovim, who was deserving of whatever happened to him, and nevertheless. Hashem, you did tovos, you did good for us, you gave us salvation, you saved us, and therefore we say thank you. So that's the idea of the chametz and the matzah, it acknowledges the tzara, which came apart from our sin, and then of course it acknowledges and thanks Hashem for the Yeshua, which we're so grateful for. Whenever one is studying any of the partios in Sefer Vayikra, predominantly which deal with the laws of Karbonos and the world of the Beis Amikdash, Including our Parsha this week, Parsha Sav. Uh, one question which any reasonable, curious, spiritually sensitive person uh, should be thinking about, if not in the front of your mind, at least in the back of your mind, is if the Karbanos were so important and so central to Jewish life for so long, if the Beis Amigdosh is such a central focus and longing of the Jewish people, then how are we to approach Hashem and deal with our religious life in the absence? of Carbonos. In other words, this is, I would think, in some ways the reverse of the typical question. The typical question is how do we relate to Carbonos? You know, this seem to be so foreign and distant to us. A very reasonable, fair question. But now I'm asking something which I think is just as reasonable and fair, but almost the opposite, which is whatever the answer to that question is, but if Carbonos were so important, how are we supposed to have a spiritually ambitious and efficacious relationship with Hashem? Without them, aren't we missing something that is so vital and so central to our religious life? So this is clearly a question, Certainly, this question in particular, one that bothered Chazal. And again, you have to realize that Chazal, as many of you know, were ones living in the immediate aftermath, the destruction of the second Beit Magdish and the immediate aftermath of the second and clearly this is a question for people in that generation that they dealt with very very much which is how to relate to a world that had now been bereft of something which was so central to their lives which was the Beis HaMekdash and interestingly both in Midrashim located on our Parsha as well as in other random comments and statements in Chazal which adduce psukim from our Parsha a number of answers are given by the Chazal that attempt to either explicitly ask and answer this question or at least implicitly are bothered by it and are all offering various substitutes, things which they could do then and we can still do now Uh even without a base in Mekdash, which according to Chazal, have some, if not all, of the same benefits that the carbonos used to have. So, for example, an incredibly powerful and important medrash here in our Parsha, the Rabbah, Parsha Zayin, Simon Gimel, the medrash itself explicitly asks the question and says, Shalom, Yehu Yisrael, Omrim, Lishaavar Hayinu, Makriven and Behen the bam says the Medrish putting in the words uh, in the mouth of uh, the Jewish people, they might be wondering, well, we used to have a base mikdash and we used to have Karbanos, and we used to learn about them now we have no born base mikdash what should we do? Do we have any connection to them? Can we relate to them in any way? And the Medrish puts into the mouth of Hakarish Barhu who answers says the Medrish, if you study Torah generally and specifically study the Torah of the Karbanos says Hashem I view that as if you brought the actual Karbanos a little bit later on in the same Medrash it says b'mishna, kilu atem again Mishnah generally and specifically the Mishnayos that relate to the Karbanos if you study those laws if you study them in the Torah in the Tarshabal the Tarshabich Hashem says I view it as if you brought the carbon, Or in another line, right after that, some somewhat similar line, if you study, I view it as if you built the base of of And in fact, this Medrash ends off by adding one final point, which is that there used to be a very prevalent Minog. I think it still exists in some parts of the community, but not as common as it used to be, but there used to be a very prevalent, if not universal minog that when children would first start learning Torah, the first thing they would learn is Sefer Vayikra. And the Medrash is curious about that choice. After all, why wouldn't you start at the start, at the beginning? Why not start at Baratius? And the Medrash answers that there's an innate connection between children and Karbanos. The Karbanos are about the world of Tahara, becoming pure and close to Hashem, and children who are free of sin are spiritually pure. And therefore says the Medrash, <speaking in Hebrew> So this is slight you know a slight uh, additional point not exactly the point we were making at first but I just think it's so important and so fascinating it's worth sharing as well that uh, there used to be a very common minog, and still exists a little bit of dafka children studying the laws of Karbonos because there's something very powerful uh, and symbiotic about children who are tahor studying Karbonos which are and bring Tahara so this and again there are numerous sources that make this point this idea that study of Torah generally and specifically the study of the Karbonos is something which is an absolute, if not equivalent, but at least a legitimate substitute for bringing the karbonos. That's one answer. A second answer, uh, which comes up very powerfully in a medrash also in our parsha, in the context of David HaMelech, talking about how he did not have the opportunity to bring karbonos in the same way that his son Shlomo will, because It's only Shlomo who will biddle beis HaMikdash. So says David, what can I do? Says the, the medrash in the mouth of David HaMelech, anyone who does tshuva, who genuinely uh, has forgiveness and repentance, I should say, and atones for his sins, Ki ilu Allah Yushalaimanas Bais Migdush and the Mizbeach and Mrakiv call karbana shabatora says the Medrish, if you do that, if you bring karbona, if you do chuva genuinely and sincerely, then we view it as if you actually went up to the Beis HaMikdash, you brought a karbon, you did genuine uh, tshuva, and therefore uh, you will be forgiven just in the same way that you would have been forgiven in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. So we see a second answer to the question, of what do we do without a Beis HaMikdash? The first was learning Torah, the second is repentance can achieve that as well. Another medrash, actually in this time, in brought down in the Gemara, Barachos, Tafi Zayin, uh, tells us very powerfully, in a very related way, it's not just tshuva generally, but fasting as a form of repentance is also effective. After all, when a person used to sin at the time of the Beis Amigdash, the animal and its fats and its blood would be burned on the, Amig- on the Mizbeach, on the altar, so too says the Gemara uh, in the name of Rav Sheshesh, that when we fast and our own physical bodies are being diminished, we view our physical sacrifice uh, in the name of repentance as equivalent to the actual animal sacrifice that was once upon a time brought in the Another madrash, a fourth source in on the Shm- Navi of Shmuel, uh, tells us that tefillah, avoda, is like or even greater than Karbanos. After all, we know that the tefillah service, the prayer service, institutionalized as we have it, uh, substitutes for the formal and original institutionalized service of the Karbanos. And last but not least, a statement of Chazal and Avos Nasan amazingly says that gemilas chasadim is something that can be as efficacious in bringing atonement and forgiveness as the Karbonos were once upon a time. Helping other people, caring for them, is another fifth source of substituting for Karbonos. We've mentioned previously the well-known comment of Chazal, quoted by Rashi right in the outset of our Parsha, that the choice of the word Tzav, that the Pasuk and the Parsha begin with uh, Moshe saying, Tzav, command, using that as the term uh, to communicate to our own, as opposed to the more typical Daber or Amor. So Rashi quotes this well-known statement of Chazal that the word Tzav is rarely used, certainly compared to those other two terms, but when it is done so, Ein zirus, miyad This is something that needs uh, energy or alacrity. It is immediate and it is also for all generations. And then there is a second opinion in the Medrash, Ruhi Shimon, who says this is especially true uh, if there is chisaron kiss if there is something in this given mitzvah where the person is going to lose money. I wanted to focus specifically uh, on the third of the criteria that is mentioned, that tzav is a lashon, urgent command, in a mitzvah that has relevance, l'doros, for all time, for future generations. What, what exactly does that mean and why would sav have anything to do with specifically things which are for multiple generations and how does that relate to any of the other factors, other statements that are mentioned here in this Medrash and in this famous Rashi. Rav Schwab in his Sefer Ma'ayan Be'es HaShueva has a very beautiful interpretation which is at one time philosophical and at the same time historical. And he starts off by asserting the fact that the key to carbonos is for a person who's bringing the carbon not to forget that the essence of the carbon, the main thing, is the person's heart, their devotion, if it's a sin offering, their sense of remorse and tshuva, that personal devotion, emotion, and dedication, that is the essence of the carbon. Can't forget that and just think, oh, well, I brought the carbon, I brought the animal, that's enough. That's important. But that's not the essence, that's not the ikar. The ikar is the person's personal connection to and devotion and religious commitment that is expressed through the bringing of the carbon. Now, this is not always uh, remembered, and it's easier said than done. You know, Schwab actually gives two examples. One, maybe the best example, in one of the earliest times in all of history where carbon is brought, in Bracious and Perak Dalid, when kine and hevel bring their respective. ...offerings, and of course, as the Torah tells us... <speaking in Hebrew> ...Hashem didn't pay attention to Kayan's carbon. ...and the question is why? Says our Schwab, the answer is... ...because Kayan made this mistake. He thought that the essence of the carbon ...was to give the, the animal to the bono shalom... ...the meat, the actual sacrifice. But he didn't realize, he didn't properly... ...appreciate the devoting himself to Hashem. That was really, truly the essence. And therefore that's why Tupsookim later... Hashem tells him, Vahalo im says, tetiv le The ikar is the tetiv, if you'll do good, im teteiv. The idea of the karabo has to be accompanied by the desire to satisfy, to give nachas, to do the right thing, in the eyes of the bones So he made that mistake. Uh, in a somewhat parallel way, although not identical, Schwab quotes the pasuk, well known story in Shmuel Aleph when Shaul Hamelech was told to kill all of Amalek and he had Rachmanus on the animals that remained and Shmuel Hanavi gives him Tochacha and basically says, you know, do you think God cares about the animals? That's not the issue. The issue is he wants you to listen to him. There's a certain level of obedience and subservience and you've missed that. So while this is not identical to the issue of carbon, but it is a similar idea of people sometimes focusing on the object of the obligation, the animal, and not focusing on the essence of the obligation, and that is the sense of commandedness, the sense of devotion, the sense of remorse, in the case of a sin offering, etc. So Schwab summarizes, and this is an idea I think that is not unique to him itself, um, and that is that the ikar is that when people realize when they're giving a karbon that their heart has to go with it. However, says Schwab, and here is the real chiddush where he becomes historical. He says this common mistake lasted up until and, th- and through the time of the first base of the Rishon, as Yishayah Hanavi in the first parak, very very famous pasuk, says, "Lamulirovzevchechem Yamar Hashem." Hashem is criticizing the people in that generation. They thought that you just need animals, and they didn't put their heart into it. There was no devotion. However, continues Schwab, and here is a tremendous chiddush. He says that in the time of the second base of the world had changed. The Gemara describes how the Hara of Avodah something which we can't relate to at all, but the Gemara says, yes, you're right, it used to be, we see through Tanakh, how unbelievably un- unrelenting and difficult it was for people to avoid Avodah something we have no desire for ourselves. And yet there was a time in history where there was a tremendous desire in Hara for Avodah So the Gemara says, by this time, the Hara of Avodah had dissipated. And what took its place? Greek philosophy took hold. And the world had a much more philosophical approach. And now, says of Schwab, again, a huge Giddush. What was the problem now? What happened? The reverse. Instead of focusing on the carbon and not the heart, now people had the opposite approach. They focused only on the heart, and they dismissed uh, any of the specifics that related to the mice mitzvah. All they cared about was the heart. What difference, they said, does it matter if the animal is one year old or two years old. If it has a mum, it has a blemish, it doesn't, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Who cares about any of that? The main thing is the heart. I, the Torah, has all these halachos that discuss and delineate the details of the animal. Eh, that's not the big deal. The main thing is the heart. And all of a sudden there was this reverse problem. Whereas in previous generations the Yitzhakara focused on the physical gift of the Karban and ignored the feelings... Here we had the opposite. Now because they became so philosophical, they started to ignore the parts of the carbon that were very practical and pragmatic and dealt with specific details and concrete details, and they only focused on the heart. Even though these are opposite uh, reactions, they share one thing in common, they're both mistaken. It says for Schwab, of course, the, the, the mission for all of us is to realize that Hashem wants both of these things. Hashem wants, first and foremost, whatever the mitzvah is, we're talking about carbonos, but it'll be true in other areas as well. Hashem wants us to do it right, but it's also true that Rachmana Libaba. Hashem wants our heart. That's in essence the, the religion without the heart is meaningless. It's devoid. It's like a ghost. It's a walking shadow, a shadow of itself. It's really nothing. You need both. Ein Sav Elushan Zeros Miadu says or Schwab, That's the idea here in the Medrash. Person will needs to know for all generations that they have to do things both in action and in heart the right way. This year we have the convergence of Erev Pesach falling out on Shabbos. This is a relatively rare phenomenon and it is quite complex halakhically. It impacts many areas of halacha, but most prominently and most relevantly for the average person is it impacts what we can use for our Shabbos meals. We know that every Shabbos we have uh, three meals, shalosh sudos, which are obligatory or at least ideally, in the case of the third meal, then it consists of bread or challah, hamotzi. What are we going to do for hamotzi with the three Shabbos meals this coming Shabbos? On the one hand, chametz is a real issue. First of all, from a strictly halachic perspective, at the fourth hour on Erev Pesach, Chametz becomes prohibited. So by that time on Shabbos morning this week, year, we will not be able to have Chametz. So, yes, it's true, you could have Chametz regular challah for your Friday night meal, you could have an early lunch uh, Shabbos morning and have Chametz, but it would be a problem of having Shal Shuddus in the afternoon when by then for sure Chametz is prohibited. Moreover, there is the practical and pragmatic concern that some people, for understandable reasons, might not want to have chametz anywhere in their house on an Arab Pesach, which is Shabbos, because they're nervous about crumbs and other such things. How are they going to make sure that the house doesn't get all chametz stick? Plus, how are they going to remove and disperse and destroy any leftover chametz at the time of Biur? If you have any chametz stick ekalium, how would you clean those on Shabbos? So there are a lot, a lot of practical issues about having chametz around, as well as the strictly halachic issue that by the fourth hour on Shabbos morning, you can't have chametz around halachically. What about matzah? So matzah, according to the Talmud Yerushalmi and Masech the in the 10th parak, is prohibited mid There's a rabbinic prohibition of eating, ha- eating matzah on Erev Pesach. The question is, when does that prohibition begin? The ramah rules that, with the view in the Rishonim, that the prohibition does not begin until the morning on Erev Pesach, dawn this year on Shabbos. So if we accept the ramah, so then at least for the Friday night meal, we would be able to have regular chal and chametz, However, uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein actually has a chiddush in one of his tshuvahs, and others accept this as well, that he thinks that even Friday night, even our Pesach at night, one cannot have matzah. So if you accept the straight and plain reading and ruling of the Ramah, Chomets could help you, it seems like, for excuse me, matzah, matzah could help you for the Friday night meal. If you accept Moshe and others, then you can't use matzah for any of the three meals. So we have both halachic and practical problems both with hummus and with matzah. The question is, where does that leave us for the shalosh sudos this Shabbos? So one solution is to use a completely different alternative, and that is egg matzah colloquially known. The Gemara talks about what's called matzah ashira, which, to be very precise in the defining of our terms, rich man's, quote-unquote, matzah, it means that instead of using water with the flour, you use some other liquids, such as uh, wine, oil, honey, fruit juices, things like that. But there's no water, it's just this, quote-unquote, nicer, richer liquid binder with the flour. You cannot use matzah ashira at the Seder. We know, as we say in the Haggadah, matzah is a lechem oni, it's poor man's bread, if so you can't use it for the Seder, therefore it should be permissible to be eaten on Erev Pesach. Moreover, there's a big discussion in the Rishonim if egg matzah is even possible, potentially, even theoretically capable of becoming chametz. And the Shulchan Aruch rules with the view that egg matzah cannot become chametz. Well, if that's the case, then it is an ideal solution this year on Shabbos, on Erev Pesach. On the one hand, it's not really matzah, it can't be used at a Seder. On the other hand, it's not chametz. And therefore, it would seem to thread the needle and be an ideal solution. And in fact, as we shall see, many do advocate using egg matzah. The problem is that the Ramah rules that we generally, as Ashkenazim at least, avoid egg matzah anytime on Pesach and even Arab Pesach if we can, because we are worried maybe it could become chametz. And therefore, unless someone is really old or sick and can't swallow or digest regular matzah, this apparently is easier to digest It's softer. But for most people, we actually don't use... Egg matzah. The question is, what about on Erev Pesach? So, in a very surprising ruling, the Ramah rules that the minhag of Ashkenazim is not to use egg any anytime on Erev Pesach. If you accept this ruling of the Ramah, egg matzah is out. If you're a Sefari and you follow Shochan Aruch, egg matzah is back in. However, there are some Ashkenazi postgames, including the Aruch HaShulchan initially and others since then, who have ruled that you should be able to use egg matzah, and they explain the Ramah's comment in a way that we don't have time to discuss now, but they actually say even Ashkenazim could use egg matzah. At least, at least as Ramosha rules, uh, Feinstein rules, until the fourth hour, until the same amount of time you could use Chametz, you could also use egg matzah. According to this view, you could for sure use egg matzah Friday night, and maybe even for any meals you have on Shabbos morning. Professor Shachter is of the view that you can actually use egg matzah for all three meals, including. Friday night, Shabbos morning, and even later in the afternoon until the 10th hour in the day, very close to sunset on Shabbos, late in the afternoon. Then already you should stop having any heavy food, including things like uh, egg matzah. But other than that, Rav Schechter thinks you could use egg matzah. So, for a corner of you have an easy solution egg matzah for all three meals. According to Moshe and others, you could use egg matzah, perhaps, but only at night or very early on Arab Shabbos. That's one solution or one A and one B, either using egg matzah for only some of the meals or according to they're using egg matzah for all of the meals. A second solution is carefully eating chametz, and that is what the machaber, the Shekhan that is the simple reading of his recommendation, that at least at night and morning you should have chametz and just be very careful not to have crumbs going over the house. Any leftover chametz can be disposed either by being crumbled up, thrown down the toilet, flushed down the toilet, <clears throat> and that would Solve that problem. So at least for Friday night and Shabbos morning, we have two viable solutions, uh, for sure. One is egg matzah, and the other is carefully eating and disposing of chametz. And I mentioned that according to some, you could even use egg matzah until later in the day. And according to Shechzer, you can use egg matzah all day. A third and final factor to consider is the issue of shalashudas. Shalashudas, which we eat all, all year round, every Shabbos, does not have to be uh, cham- uh, ma- uh, hamotzi, excuse me, or bread, or even mazonos, although it's ideally so. But it has to be something, either meat, fish, fruit, and ideally something like bread. So it, moreover, it's also ideally eaten in the second half of the day, afternoon, after the, the sixth and a half hour of the day. So it's pretty much impossible to have the ideal food at the ideal time this Shabbos. And therefore, other solutions or compromises are mentioned. Either some people have the less ideal food at the ideal time, they finish their two main meals early in the morning, and then later in the afternoon, which is the ideal normal time for Shal should still have fruit, vegetables, or something like that. That's one option. Or alternatively, what's become very popular is a suggestion from the Rishonim mentioned by the Mishnah Bruhah of waking up very early on Ere Pesach, Shechal Yos B'Shabis, and having two meals before the end of the fourth hour, dividing them and being able to finish that way. And that is another way of getting all three meals as well.